Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Welcome everyone. Today we are contemplating a basic sort of gut restoration program for your patients. And of course, things that seem simple, should be simple, are not always simple. And that's why I have my brains trust with me today for our discussion. And that would be Claire. Welcome, Claire. <laughs> You've got to give yourself a little bit more credit than that, I think, Paul. <laughs> Look, I, I think, Claire, though, so many people know this. We can all have good ideas. We can all have concepts and theories in clinic. And it's really when you get to sit down and talk with another like-minded, wiser, smarter, better-looking person <laughs> that you realize whether you're on the right track or not. So hence, yes. I'd like to have a chat with you today about <laughs> how you would consider going through a basic GI restoration program. Mm. Do you do many of these in clinic? Oh, I must say, I have loved doing a good gut cleanse in mm. clinic. I think I have in various seasons of my clinic worked with different kind of presentations, but I specialized in skin for mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. And I, I do really, really like to personalize treatment, but I just found myself again and again, kind of as a starting basis, putting someone on a really good gut protocol. And, you know, so mm -hmm. many, I've spoken to so many practitioners that in their other various niches have done a similar thing because, mm -hmm. you know, I even just like to think of, well, sure, if 70 or 80% of my patients' immune system is in their gut, that's mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of immune tissue to make a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything going on there, we've mm -hmm. got to calm that, we've got to clean it up, we've got to heal it because that, mm -hmm. that immune tissue in that part of the body will then be hugely influencing Mm. the rest mm. of the inflammation in the rest of the body and how much health is available to the rest of the body. Mm. So, yeah, look, that's my long answer of saying yes. Well, well, I have a quick question for you. Can you think of a problem that someone could walk in with that isn't somehow implicated with inflammation? No, I can't. No, I, I, honestly, when... I guess we can talk chronic stress, but even in case of chronic stress, you know, we're going to see more chance of neuroinflammation. There's always going to be some kind mm. of inflammation, you know, chronic stress. We know people are prone to leaky blood brain barriers. Well, you know, some of that can all be to do with gut inflammation anyway. So honestly, exactly. I think, yes, you know, it really does underlie pretty much everything. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I'm going to start with a bit of a way I would generally sort of look at doing a GI sort of restoration protocol. You can just jump on in whenever you want and say what you want when you want. How's that sound? Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Perfect. All right. So, look, of course, the first thing is when someone comes in, you know, we have to look at the patient presentation. And, you know, there are the two sets of symptoms that I'm always going to look at. One is the gut symptoms. So, of course, you get people who have, I'll say, broadly termed IBS-type symptoms. So, of course, I will look at those. But then, as you've already alluded to, you know, there are those systemic symptoms as well. So, you know, it's taking that general sort of patient presentation and looking, I think, sometimes, you know, at 
Sometimes people have one gut symptom, but they'll have other systemic symptoms. And then from there, once I've taken that part of the case, I like to sort of look at identifying the underlying cause. So do you have a do you have a sort of a certain number of key underlying causes you break this down into? Or do you sort of say, no, everyone's individual? I mean, there must be some key things you look for there. Yeah, you can kind of break it down into some groups, can't you? Like, do they have an inflammatory condition? So is it a systemic inflammatory Mm. condition that then would be impacting the gut? Or is there an inflammatory condition in the gut, which would then obviously be um, affecting Mm. systemic health? So is that happening? Is it more that this this gut is being fed the wrong foods? Is there food mm-hmm. sensitivities going on, which is then causing gut and microbiome damage? Mm-hmm. Do have they arrived in my clinic in a state where they have dysbiosis? And that's mm-hmm. really clear that we have to be working on that. Or is it a case of toxicity? You know, does this mm-hmm. person have heavy metals? Has there been mm-hmm. some kind of chemical exposure at work or at home, depending where they live? You know, what's mm-hmm. happening there? Live or work that then we have to include the gut in that because it is going to be the organ that is going to eliminate that from the body mm. for us. Mm. So they're probably the they're probably the full main Okay. Things. So food sensitivity, yeah. you check is there signs of food sensitivity, is there an inflammatory condition there, you know, dysbiosis you mentioned, and, and even toxicity. I think toxicity is really important because, you know, if we have a highly toxic gut and if we have a leaky gut, not only is it going to be uh, responsible for eliminating toxins, you know, the gut responsible for eliminating toxins, but it also becomes almost a source of toxins, you know, depending on what people are exposed mm. to, ingesting and, and things like that. So mm. once you've sort of identified the cause, you might be considering what case history to help that, any sort of testing maybe? Do you yeah, use your test to confirmly say it's this or this or this? I yeah, I'm probably more likely to do a test if it's something like SIBO or you know if there's other like red flags that we have to be testing for more serious like the presence of more serious inflammatory markers in the gut or something or if mm-hmm. there's a parasite then you know we want to be sending them off for that kind of testing mm-hmm. or yep. any you know more serious despite it but otherwise if we're more looking at oh i can tell this person's got leaky gut i can tell mm-hmm. that they've got food sensitivities i'd be more just then looking at going straight into treatment or you know using your elimination mm-hmm. diet there as your gold standard what do you find is there anything else that you would test for look i guess if it is toxicity sometimes i'll be looking at you know are there metals there or other persistent pollutants but you know what's really interesting sometimes you know i think it's interesting because you i think you alluded to it that you know if it's food sensitivity is like great are we going to test them for all the foods and the answer is yes you could you might want to test them and you might need to test them for the foods, but sometimes it's about putting them on, you know, if we if we can see broadly it's food sensitivity, it's about putting them on a food sensitivity type diet, you know, doing mm. a, you know, keeping a diary, then looking, you know, for patterns within that diary and then a reactivity challenge. It may not be about specifically going and doing a 300 food test, you know. Mm. And, and with, with inflammation, I, I guess I would also look at, does the person already have other blood tests or anything that infers that there could be an inflammatory sort of condition in here? When it comes to mm. dysbiosis, you know, I, I just like getting up close and personal, smelling their breath. No, I'm mm. joking. Uh, mm. <laughs> no, but seriously, looking at... Oh, hey, it's valid, isn't it? Yeah. 
No, I, yeah. Well, so I mean, I'm half joking. I don't just go and get right up in their face. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, are, are there different odors that this person is producing in, yeah. in clinic, or just other symptom pictures and profiles? I guess. And as you said, I guess if you do want to know what kind of SIBO they have, then yeah, the kind of testing is is sort of important. But I, mm. I do think once we've looked at identifying the underlying cause and is it a food sensitivity or inflammatory condition or a dysbiosis or a toxicity, that at some point we almost then do really need to clean up everyone's diet, you know, and, yep. and that, that's one of the things we, we need to go through. And in some of the previous podcasts that we've talked about, we did a podcast, two-part series on microbial metabolites. I think one of our conclusions from memory that we came up with from that was, well, if you really want the best possible microbial metabolites, at least feed whatever mm. microbiome you've got the right kind of foods. Do you have a 10 cents or 10, you know, 10 words on, on what that would be? Mm, well, I think, I think that this is really nice to put this actually a step two before we right. gather up our supplements and decide what treatment we're mm -hmm. going to give them, like what treatment protocol, mm -hmm. because exactly as you said, we want to be setting this person up for long-term success that when they're mm. four, six, 12 week gut protocol is over, they've got some really mm. good seeds planted for, well, how can I continue to keep all of these good results because I'm feeding my gut all of the foods that it needs and how much of an amazing preventative health measure that that mm. is. You know, if we're just really needing to clean up someone's diet and be like, hey, mm. your body isn't doing so well with XYZ food, let's take this mm. out and let's, you know, find five whole food-based things that we can add in to replace mm. it and just get all of that dietary stuff happening, whether it is an elimination mm. diet or just getting the refined food and the junk out of their diet and, and getting mm. them onto that more whole food diet, which I think is where it's at for most people. Mm. But that you said in that previous two-part series that we did on those microbial metabolites that if you're giving someone a biotic and their diet isn't great, you know, it's not actually going mm. to be cutting the mustard in the long term. So I think having mm. the step two being the diet, like once you've figured out what's going on for them and then you're picking your diet, mm -hmm. That's a great place to start someone. Great, great place. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I oh, suppose from oh. there, though, that's what we're wanting to move on to treatment for, um, you know, doing our protocols. Yeah. So how do you then kind of dive into that? What's your approach? Okay. I'll, I'll try and keep it loosely based on what we talked about before that, you know, people often come in, they may have, you know, food sensitivities causing, you know, an ongoing sort of inflammatory response in the gut. You know, I certainly always want to look at, once people have had food sensitivities, now remember this making the assumption we've done the diet, we've looked at an elimination diet for them, we've put them primarily on a whole foods, plant-based diet or a Mediterranean diet, you know, one of the much healthier diets that we know of, you know, and when it comes to actual treatment for something like food sensitivities, I'm always considering, you know, what can be done for the intestinal barrier healing. Mm -hmm. So we know that, you know, I often chat with other practitioners about this, well, if people have leaky gut, aren't they going to react to a whole heap of different stuff? So, you know, one of the key things is to obviously we'll get better tight junctions with a healthier diet. However, we might need to use intestinal barrier, uh, something to stimulate that healing. You know, let's assume that having made changes to their diet, you know, we can probably choose some really good probiotics that might reduce the inflammation in the gut for example mm. there's some uh, mm -hmm. good data on some of the l Reuteri species in regards to mm. that things like clinoctilolite which has been shown to have a really nice healing effect healing and sealing effect on the gut but also can probably bind up to some of the waste products that are just sort of sitting in there 
as well. They're the mm. sorts of things I'd be looking at putting together in food sensitivity. If it's, you know, an inflam- general sort of inflammatory condition, you know, absolutely intestinal barrier healing. So am I even going to consider things like, you know, aloe vera or any of those sorts of things in there? Once again, I, I do like when I'm doing gut protocols to use something like clinoctilolite because for me it's a really great way of just cleaning a gut up. And even if there's mm-hmm. been dysbiosis or what's there, it tends to bind up to a lot of the, I'll say rubbish, and at least mm. get it out. And it's really hard mm-hmm. to fix something if there's just bits flying around everywhere. And, and, you know, it even binds up to some LPS, which we know while that's in the gut, it will continue to cause that sort mm. of leakiness. So I do want to consider what strategies there are for intestinal barrier healing. I do want to consider clinoctilolite. I do, if there's strong inflammation, I do like using a really good curcuminoid. Sometimes liposomal curcuminoid uh, sort of fits that. If it's dysbiosis, though, of course, it goes back to everything I've said, which is I really think we need to heal the barrier. I do like clinoptilite because, you know, given the fact it binds up to LPS, well, if you've had a dysbiosis, you definitely want to bind up to that. We know probiotics can help in dysbiosis, so make sure you choose a really good evidence-based one. But then I also want to throw in some herbal uh, antimicrobials as well. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's really important when it comes, and that's for me one of the things that differentiates treating just general inflammation or food sensitivity is it's those those herbal antimicrobials. I think you really need to put into your dysbiosis protocols. And have I covered everything? No. No, sorry. What would I do if there was a toxicity? Now I don't see a lot of toxicity-based gut issues, but I have. Like I've seen a few of them. But in that case, I'm going to be looking at what sorts of things I can do to just help upregulate or just maintain phase one, two, and three of detoxification. Because remember, so much of that is going on within, you know, a lot of people sort of think phase one, two occurs in liver cells. It actually occurs in the gut cells themselves. Some of it occurs in liver. Some of it actually occurs in the gut cells themselves. So, you know, anything that's going to really support that I'll always go back to clinoctilite because it binds up to a whole heap of stuff. So if we're talking about toxicity, let's bind it up and get out. And of course, you know, I, I am always keen to look at intestinal sort of barrier healing. So, you know, th- mm-hmm. those are the different, and look, it's really basic, but they're the different sorts of strategies I would choose mm-hmm. depending on what, you know, once I've identified, is this food sensitivity based? Is it an inflammatory condition that's just out of control? Is it dysbiosis or is it toxicity? Well, I have a question about the dysbiosis arm of your protocol there specifically. Sure. How often do you like to give your antimicrobials for? My, I, I will say I'm a slow practitioner and, you know, sometimes people go, well, that that's not very good because we all know patients aren't always patient. But <laughs> I, I prefer... I prefer to do something longer and slower that's going to give a really good outcome. And for me, I would have to say almost always, you know, minimum 12 weeks. But okay. and that, that, but notice I say minimum. So if someone's actually had a dysbiosis for five years, it's mm. going to take longer than 12 weeks to reshape that. And, and keep, I, you know, I just want everyone to keep in mind, when I'm talking about a herbal antimicrobial support, one of the reasons I love herbal antimicrobial support is because it isn't that antibiotics which go in and just kill everything. And if you look at a lot of the data on the good herbal antimicrobials, they simply inhibit the growth and development of different what we'll call dysbiotic bacteria. Now, 
That just means that over time, the colony size will decrease and will become smaller. But at the mm. same time, it means that you're not necessarily going to knock out the, the different colonies that you want to thrive there. And so for me, that's why, you know, using herbs rather than antibiotics, you know, and not using, I think you and I in a previous podcast discussed herbal napalm, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, not necessarily going in boots and all, but using well-chosen antimicrobial herbs for around, yeah, three months can often give mm-hmm. better long-term results than mm-hmm. herbal napalm or even antibiotic napalm. Yeah, but I, I think that makes sense, you know, if we are working with a stubborn dysbiosis because our herbs aren't just doing the the kill kill of the antibiotics. Mm. They're doing all these other things too that are going to help prevent that from ever coming back. Like they're working mm. on destroying that biofilm that those dysbiotic bacteria mm. might be tucked into. Mm. Some of our, or most often our dysbiotic herbs can be, I mean, sorry, our antimicrobial herbs can be rich in essential oils, which can be quite comminative. So you're helping with mm. that patient's symptom presentation with like some of that cramping or gas that might be happening or they can mm. often be bitter and so you're helping mm-hmm. getting that gut motility happening which can be a, a huge cause of how those dysbiotic bacteria can set up camp in the first place the gut is not mm. you know cleaning itself and having that strong motility so i think it makes sense we've got to work on the causes of why those dysbiotic bacteria have been allowed to set up camp and they take time exactly as you said if that dysbiosis dysbiosis mm-hmm. has been five years in the making you know mm. we've got to spend a couple of months on doing that Absolutely. I've got a question for you, though. So we sort of said, look, you know, we, we've talked about what is the right diet. And in our previous podcasts on, um, you know, microbial metabolites, we sort of came up with the conclusion that we'll just say, you know, more plant-based is better. When you have a patient in front of you, are there different conditions where you choose a slightly different diet? Oh, well, you know, all of our CBOE fond mapping people telling them to mm. have a higher fiber diet, that's not going to be very pretty, is it? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you're always tailoring it, aren't you? And you, I think the end road that you're always trying to get someone to do too is the most fiber rich, the most diverse diet possible. Yeah. And so it's just where they're at. Like, I think that's why it's really cool that we have that dietary, that we discuss that dietary intervention and change as the step before we even talk about supplements. Mm -hmm. Because if someone's gut is just, the diversity is really low and the dysbiotic bacteria are really high, even them, they don't even have to have SIBO, but they can just be so reactive to foods because that gut Mm. is just in such a bad place. So even just being like, or even if someone's diet is just so poor, even just getting them to have one more diet, uh, one more vegetable on their plate, one more fiber-rich mm-hmm. food on their plate. So for some people, it's that. For some people, it's let's go the whole hog. I'm the super compliant patient and I'll just do whatever you tell me to a tea. And mm. For some person, I might be like, oh, you've got constipation. Well, maybe it's the dairy that's the issue more so than the gluten or mm. maybe it's not. Like it's just maybe I'm just going to take one food out instead of a whole bunch. But I think we're always trying to move in that general direction. You know, mm. if you ever take someone off FODMAPs, it is always with the discussion that there is going to be a period where they're out and then it's mm. reintroduction. I feel very strongly about that because our gut bacteria need those foods mm. to keep a healthy mm. gut. So I don't really know if I answered your question. So it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's always so different. Yeah. But, but I was going to say, and I've seen people who've lived on uh, low FODMAP diets for years and while it mediates yeah. some of their symptoms, they're still not well. Do, no, do you know what yeah, I mean? They, they yeah. do not have 
the extreme symptoms they had before, but they're not well. No. There's still something wrong, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, and, and, and you're right. Life at that point. Yeah. Well, that, that's what that's when you're starving everything. It's it's a bit like mm. the uh, antibiotics or the herbal napalm. Let's just kill everything in your gut. Come on, that's that, that's a very rough way of doing it, and it may not even solve all your problems. We've managed to touch on just a few little bits about putting together a uh, basic sort of gut restoration program. I, mm. I do want to go as far as say I feel like we didn't even scratch the surface. You and I just looked at the surface and commented yeah. about what we're seeing mm-hmm. on the surface. But that's because, you know, to really go in depth, it would take hours. And uh, those are hours that we don't have in today's podcast. However, Claire, I've got some great news for you. They're okay. letting me out of this recording studio. <laughs> and if anyone would actually like to uh, come along and and spend, you know, a fair few hours, you know, it's five-hour seminar to get a really in-depth look at how to put together some of these protocols for patients and the different nuances that different patients need. In May 2023, Biopractica has a seminar series, Resolving the Gut Issue. It really seeks to be a comprehensive guide to complex GIT conditions where we can look at deeper considerations that might be required for patients. So, Claire, I'd like you to come along and uh, and absolutely be a guest there. And, uh, you know, if I'm feeling tired, I'll get you to pop up and uh, do some of my lecturing uh, roles because I, I know yeah, you're sure. a lecturer as well and uh, a fantastic <laughs> presenter. So, um, But also, therefore, anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you are a qualified practitioner, in May 2021, uh, 2021, what happened to the years? May 2023, I stand corrected. We will be traveling along the east coast of Australia and WA. If you can't make it to any of the live events, we will, in fact, have a live broadcast of one of those series. I believe that's going to be on the 15th of May. So, Claire, if you are busy and you can't make it to the uh, Queensland one, there will always be that live streamed event for you and anyone else who can't attend in person. So um, there you go. Free plug for me. Managed to uh, give Mm -hmm. myself a a seminar plug. So look, on that note though, I'm aware of the time. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for uh, hopping in and agreeing to chat with me again. And Mm -hmm. um, I look forward to seeing your smiling face in May. And if you want more details, Claire, just go to biopractica.com.au and, uh, and, and join us at our uh, face-to-face seminar. The first one really since, uh, since COVID. 2021. Yeah. 2021. Well, I can't remember when it was. It's all a blur. It's all a blur. But I know it's 2023 yes. today and I know it's May yes. 2023 for this seminar series. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was very good to hear that your, like you said, your kind of foundational way that you would put together a gut protocol but yeah there's so much more to it isn't there and there's always Mm. the protocol that we create and then the actual implementation of it in clinic with Mm. all the different patients and all the different so I think that's great Mm -hmm. have space to bring in early questions and really sink into it all I Mm. look forward to it oh look the the other thing that uh we will have is we're going to have a whole heap of different patient handouts that you would use in those scenarios so you know when people talk about diet handouts Uh, you know, all the attendees will get diet handouts on the Mediterranean diet, on a wheat-free diet. So we we spoke of the importance of, you know, low FODMAP diet. We spoke of the importance of those things. And one of the things we want attendees to leave with is basically all copies of all these diets so they don't have to write them for their patient. Mm 
Mm. They can simply mm-hmm. print them out or email them to people and uh, their patients have all the uh, all the info they need, which, as we know in clinic, you know, it gets a bit tiring typing out similar diets time and time and time again. Oh, yeah. Done for you. That's great. It's what we need. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, Claire, mm. take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, short podcast. Any of you who would like to come and join us with Biopractica Seminar in May 2023, uh, hop onto au. And I look forward to you all joining us again soon. And Claire, you'll have to contact me about our topic for our next podcast next week. Okay, will do. We'll be speaking to you all soon. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica empowering healthcare professionals.